0: Hi, welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. It's Thursday, January 19th, and I'm Jessica Steinberg. I'm joined today by U.S. correspondent Jacob Magid and legal affairs reporter Jeremy Sharon. Hello.
1: Hey, Jessica. Hi, Jessica.
0: We'll talk today about the bombshell high court ruling that bans Shas leader Aryeh Derry from serving as a minister and the possible constitutional crisis. We also have U.S. senators not meeting far-right ministers and U.S. advisor Jake Sullivan's visit in Israel right now. Before we jump into it all, let's take a quick break. Hey there. So, Jeremy, you're covering the the big news of the day. We've basically got this bombshell, the news of yesterday revolving around Shash Chief Aryeh Derry and the High Court ruling that his appointment as interior and health minister was quote unreasonable in the extreme, and quote, to his due to his criminal convictions last year, most recently for tax fraud in 2022. I'm just going to remind our listeners that he claimed at the time that he was quitting the Knesset after that plea bargain sentence, only to then head the Shas party in the recent elections that took place. So, break down the most recent news, and then we'll head into where this all fits into the sweeping changes that are being recommended by the current government in uh, the judiciary. Where does this leave us right now with Aryeh Derry and... Where do we think this is all going to head at the at the moment?
1: Okay, so like you said, you, you pointed out an important aspect of this ruling in that Derry, uh, when he was convicted, he he was convicted in a plea bargain last year, and the plea bargain gave him a twelve month uh, suspended uh, prison sentence, suspended for three years, and in order to achieve that plea bargain, he, as you said, declared that he would quit the Knesset, and then and said something along the lines of. I will serve the public from outside of the Knesset. It made it seem very much like he was he was quitting political life. Literally the next day, he made a statement saying he's going to continue to lead the Shas party. And lo and behold, the government falls a few months later, and he leads the Shas party into the next into the next uh, election. Shas uh, gets eleven seats, nearly four hundred thousand votes. He's the leader of the Shas party. And the new government is formed and he gets appointed as a minister, uh, two ministers, interior minister and health minister. So there was petitions against him by several NGOs saying this is unreasonable, unreasonable in the kind of judicial sense that uh, this goes beyond the bounds of of, of, of what um, is reasonable for uh, an authority, in this case the prime minister, to do, bearing in mind that... He's still uh, in the midst of his three-year suspended sentence, and he was previously convicted in 1999 of, of bribery, which is a very serious crime. The court evaluated, evaluated these claims, and it, it made two determinations. A, that his uh, his appointment was unreasonable in the extreme because of his previous convictions and the fact that his suspended sentence hasn't even yet expired. But two, they, they employed uh, a judicial doctrine called estoppel, which essentially means you can't claim something in one legal proceeding uh, or, or give an impression in one legal proceeding of, of one thing, and then make the complete opposite impression in another legal proceeding. So when he was in, in front of the Jerusalem Magistrates Court, the, the plea bargain was based on the fact that he was quitting political life. He come, Now that he has petitions in, to the high court against his appointment, and his lawyer stands up and says, oh, he never really meant to, that he was quitting political life long term. He only meant it for a couple of months and during the during the hearing actually in the high court several of the justices took extreme exception to this and they said you can't you, you can't get a, a convenient plea bargain which you know with a with a more lenient sentence because you say you're going to quit politics and then come back and say well I didn't really mean it and 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 so that's actually what transpired in in the ruling is that five out of the the 11 judges said this estoppel doctrine we are ruling out his appointment not only through Reasonability, but also through this estoppel doctrine. Now, why is this relevant? Because part of the government's radical overhaul of of Israel's legal and judicial system is to annul the court's ability to strike down a government decision through this principle of reasonability the the government and others say that this gives the court undue power and um, exe- to exceed its authority and interfere with government admin- administrative decisions which should just be in the purview of the discretion of the prime minister the, uh, other ministers or even down to you know municipal municipal administrations so the the idea was that if the court strikes down derry's appointment as being unreasonable the Knesset, as part of this reform package, would cancel the uh, the court's ability to use uh, reasonability, and then reappoint Derry, and then the court can could no longer intervene. But because the court used this principle of estoppel as well as reasonability, that makes it very, very much harder for Derry to to now be reappointed a minister. The only the only way it seems is if for for Derry to return to to a high office is if he would be appointed an alternative prime minister. But that is a very complicated political, governmental, legal framework. And it would actually require the government to um, dissolve itself and then reform itself on the basis of this alternative prime minister framework. And that's something which is quite destabilizing the, the the framework itself of having an alternative prime minister is quite unstable and something which the Likud was anxious to get rid of. Having experienced that with the Blue and White Party and Benny Gantz, it's not something they wanted to return to. That presents a big problem for for the current government uh, to get dairy right. back into in, into into office.
0: You've also written this analysis about what is playing out right now, just generally, in, ten, in terms of these sweeping changes that have been suggested that are being protested in the streets on a weekly basis. So you wrote that. The government's effort to severely restrict judicial review over Knesset legislation and executive action could lead to a constitutional crisis, a situation in which the government and the High Court of Justice come into direct conflict. Could you explain a little bit more about what the,
1: what a constitutional crisis would look like? A constitutional crisis, it, it's something quite hard to define, and I was speaking to several legal scholars, and they also had a bit of a hard time defining it. Essentially, it kind of boils, boils down to a situation where one or two branches of government ignore the the decisions or the will of the other were were the current government to ignore the court and leave derry in place that would be a constitutional crisis because the 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 the, the government the executive would be ignoring the judicial branch but more deeply in terms of my analysis uh, I was referring to a situation where the court decide, the high court decided to intervene over this grand reform package of the uh, the new government and and that would be a specific problem because the government it seeks to enact its reforms through a basic law israel's basic laws have quasi constitutional status and and in order to make those reforms secure, it wants to do it through a basic law. And in that basic law, it wants to stipulate that the High Court is prohibited from even hearing questions or, or, or petitions against basic laws and much less, uh, uh, able to, to issue a ruling on it. Meaning if it, it's basically saying the High Court cannot, cannot intervene over basic laws. That's a, It's a tool to, to allow the government to be very sure that it's package of judicial reforms will go through now amongst those judicial reforms is uh like i said severe restrictions on the ability of the high court to strike down legislation and it grants the knesset the ability to re-legislate any law which the connect which the high court had said no this law contravenes uh, uh fundamental rights laid out in the basic laws and even in the declaration of independence which talks about um, you know rights and and so uh, so so the, the legislation would say that the Knesset can re-legislate such a law, even if the High Court said uh, it's invalid. Now, Israel's High Court has never intervened uh, over a basic law. It's never struck down or amended a basic law. And there was an interesting, fascinating case a couple of years ago, when after the passage of the controversial nation-state law, which was passed as a basic law, uh, it was the petitions were filed against it to the High Court. And the High Court, in a very lengthy uh, uh, opinion... Uh, written by current Supreme Court uh, President Esther Hayut, she wrote that the court would almost never, this court would almost never intervene over a basic law because the basic laws are actually an incomplete work as part of is, uh, Israel's ongoing constitutional development. But she said there is one one situation in which the Knesset's ability to legislate basic laws and to legislate Israel's constitution, there's one situation which, in which that might be limited. And what's that situation? If the Knesset were to legislate a basic law which would contravene Israel's Jewish and democratic character. So you could imagine a situation in which the court gets petitioned against uh, this massive reform package, including this override law to read legislate laws which were struck down. And the court and the justices look at that and say, well, that might fundamentally undermine uh, the ability to protect minorities, to protect individual rights. And in that being the case, and since individual rights and and, uh, and, and minority rights are an in, intrinsic aspect of democracy, this basic law is undermining democracy, and that might be therefore the ability to we might therefore have the ability to strike it down. Um, and in, in 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 such a case, that would be a that would be a severe constitutional crisis. Now, what does that mean? Um, it, it's it's hard to predict exactly. Uh, let's say the court set, strikes it down and, 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 and the government then says, well, we're just going to go ahead and legislate anything anyway and we'll re-legislate a law even if the high court continues to strike it down. Let's say then so that the court, the, the Knesset passes a law under the basis of this legislation. For instance, just an extreme example to make it forbidden for newspapers to criticise the government without permission. How does that play out? Does the, do the police arrest those people if the police you know do the police basically are are the police listening to the court or listening to the government if the police arrest those people then the court is weakened if the police refuse to arrest such people then the government is weakened this is an extreme example and it is unlikely to play out in this manner but uh, that, that's essentially what an, uh, a constitutional crisis might look like.
0: So I guess we're going to have to wait and see how this plays out. And I'm sure today we'll bring more headlines and more updates with, with regard to this. Thank you very much, Jeremy. We're going to take a quick break. And when we're back, uh, Jacob will tell us about a delegation of U.S. senators who arrived in Israel this week and what they're up to right now. And we're back. Jacob, we have a delegation of U.S. senators who arrived in Israel on Tuesday asking not to meet with far-right ministers Batsala Smotrich and Itamar Ben-Gvir. So what does that mean in practice?
2: This is a bipartisan delegation of seven senators from the Abraham Accords Caucus, which is part of the legislative branch's efforts to involve itself in the normalization agreements Israel signed with the UAE, Bahrain, and Morocco and they're traveling to all four countries this week and arrived in Israel on Tuesday. Um, Ahead of the visit, Jackie Rosen, who's the Democratic uh, senator leading the delegation along with James Linkford, a Republican, um, but Jackie reached out, or her office did, to the Israeli foreign ministry ahead of time and asked that they not set up any meetings with not only Finance Minister Mitzala Smutrich and National Security Minister Itzmar Bengvir, but also anyone from either of their far-right parties, being the Religious Zionism and the Otzma Yehudit far-right parties. Now, this is somewhat of a departure from the Biden administration's policy, which has avoided publicly acknowledging any sort of boycott of the Israeli far-right ministers. Instead, they're saying that they're going to judge the government based on its policies, not its personalities, and claiming that they're going to hold Bibi accountable. He'll be their main interlocutor, and that's who they're going to deal with um, in, in terms of trying to keep everyone in line, given that Netanyahu, they always say, is the one who has his hands on the wheel. Um, Rosen hasn't publicly commented on this, but her office is the one who leaked this decision not to meet with Ben and Smoltrich to, to the press. So that is a step further than the, the, the Biden administration. Tom night said last week that he's not boy- boycotting anyone, though privately he has kind of said that he's not going to meet with Ben But basically the step by... Um, Rosen is a, bit, a step a bit farther, and a decision demonstrates how widespread, I think, the discomfort with the new Israeli government is within the Democratic Party, in that this isn't Rashida Tlaib or some part of the leftist flank of the party that's refusing to meet with sitting ministers, but one of the most stalwart pro-Israel senators in Jackie Rosen. They would think they have some good reason not to meet with Ben-Gurin well, just given that they're their views against and comments against Israeli Arabs um, and their support for annexation without granting rights to Palestinians, Bangvir's ties to Mayor Kahana and his terrorist-deemed organization, the Kach movement. They've also, both of them, spoken out against Reform Judaism, Smutrich has called it a fake religion. And they also obviously have their comments against uh, the LGBT individuals. Just this week, Smutrich was recorded calling himself another t- another time, saying that he's a homophobe. And Rosen is someone who is a former president of her reform synagogue before entering Congress. So comments like that probably don't sit too well with her. And that's kind of the backdrop, I guess, of this decision. Smutrich, his office didn't comment.
0: But here's the thing. Would... This delegation normally have met with the finance minister and public security minister,
2: which is the roles of Smotrich and Ben Gvir. Possibly not this kind of delegation, but the fact that they're trying to be very careful ahead of time... I would say it's more likely that they would have met with the public security minister. I mean, they, the former public security minister had many meetings with Biden officials, less so with, with lawmakers, but they're going to be visiting the Knesset tomorrow, today and tomorrow. And this notion that they're purposely going out of their way to not try to be seen with 15 out of the 120 uh, members of, of the Knesset is pretty is pretty noteworthy. And I think it also may serve as a precedent or a blueprint for for other congressional delegations visiting Israel who are now ahead of time going to be saying, we don't want to meet with these people, which is, I don't think anything we've seen in the past and probably not great news for the bilateral relationship. On the other hand, I think because we're in this partisan era, we could now start seeing Republican members coming on their own or inviting these members um, from small and and Gvir's parties on their own for meetings uh, with, with them as a way to kind of stick it to their democratic rivals.
0: Okay, now we also have another US visitor right now on the ground who is US advisor Jake Sullivan. He's meeting with President Herzog. He's meeting with Prime Minister uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. He's got other meetings tomorrow. What really is the nature of his visit? You know, in terms of expectations from the Biden administration, what are some of the other things that we're planning to see emerge from these meetings?
2: Yeah, we're talking about two days of meetings. He's also going to be meeting with uh, Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas um, and a few several other Israeli ministers. But I think there is this effort by the U.S. to try and get an understanding of the new government's policies toward the Palestinians. In terms of how hard line they're actually going to be whether it's some of its hot air and rhetoric or whether they're really going to be taking steps towards some sort of annexation even even de facto of the West Bank and I think they're looking to try to lay down some ground rules about what they're willing to tolerate and what they're not be it and I think their red lines are um annexation obviously de jure and then I think they're Seems to be some a new red line that that on outpost legalization these uh, communities that are deemed that Israel says are also illegal and the U S has highlighted they're legal under Israeli law that now the government is looking to legalize and then there was a term used by Nides, the U S ambassador last week about massive settlement expansion and I think that's somewhat I don't know it might have been just a slip of the tongue um, I don't I, I'm not one to, to want to kind of parse every single word of every U S official but. If you think about it as it could be a departure from previous stance, which just calls it blankets, any settlement uh, building is, is what the Biden administration opposes. And I think that's what they would say if you'd asked. But another in, in way to look at it is I think that there's some recognition that they're not going to be able to have some sort of settlement freeze or really anything close to that in this new government, given the, the players at hand um, and given the guiding principles of the, the government, which talks about exclusive rights for Jews in all land, including Judea and Samaria, the West Bank. Um so I think that's I guess massive settlement expansion expansion might be some sort of red line of course, Netanyahu is going to look to talk to these to Sullivan about the Iran issue, and he's got this slightly different approach from the previous government, which also opposed the JCPOA and returning to it, but tried to do, work a little bit more behind scenes and keep ties with the U.S. at a at a better position. Netanyahu says he's going to be more aggressive and more out more out front in his opposition. Not really sure what that means practically at this point, but that could lead to more butting heads. Notably, though, I think this is not really an issue that the Biden administration really wants to talk about. They've been singing the exact same tune for months, that the deal is no longer relevant given that Iran's intransience, given Iran's closeness to Russia, given the protests in Iran, um, and therefore, but at the same time, we still prefer diplomacy. Um, But there's no real talk of an alternative approach, which is what Israel wants to see. I think the Biden administration is kind of just like trying to drag its feet out as long as possible in this cloudy period where between where Iran's still moving slowly towards a weapon, but not moving too quickly to avoid a massive response. Um, And I think that's kind of a gray zone that while the Biden administration focuses on other issues that they seem to prefer rather than giving any sort of actual substantive comment on these issues. And the last thing they want to talk about is, of course, the Abraham Accords and hoping to see some sort of uh, normalization deal between Israel and Saudi Arabia, which seems quite Uh, fantastical at this point, but I think there's recognition in the Biden administration this could be quite the achievement, and they've made some steps in terms of the Saudi agreement to allow Israeli overflights over the past uh, few months, and they're hoping to build on that. I think it's going to be obviously much more difficult under this new government, and given the poor ties between the U.S. and Saudi Arabia, Itamar Ben-Gvir's Temple Mount visit, which is one issue that seems to rile up the Arab world, not the increased violence in the West Bank, but that. Um, So that's also makes things more difficult and steps to that end. Um, I think also, obviously, lastly, that my administration is not looking to give a blank check to the Saudis um, to do this like the Trump administration was. But again, I think they're trying to test the waters. And that's what part of this, what this trip's about.
0: Thanks, Jacob. Thanks for being on today's Daily Briefing.
2: Thanks, Jessica.
1: Good to be with you, Jessica.
0: Happy listening, everyone. And have yourselves a good day. We'll be back again on Sunday. Thanks
1: for listening to the Times of Israel's daily briefing. And thanks to our producer, Gilad Brownstein, and to Gili Amar for this this out-of-this-world music.
0: You can find us daily wherever you find your podcasts. And on our mothership, timesofisrael.com. Like what you hear? Consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to spread the word. And be sure to check out our weekly feature, Times Will Tell, released every Friday. Until next time. Shalom.